The Viewpoint, weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. Bertha Charuma on SAFM. It is the viewpoint, and um, I'm standing in for Songezo, and I know that time is really, really, not, really not on our side, but um, moving right along. So South Africa has one of the strongest uh, navies in Africa. The deaths of three members of the South African Navy uh, on the 20th of September, uh, the, which is uh, this past September, when a freak wave swept them off the deck of a submarine, um, SAS Tatisi uh, um, uh, has put the spotlight on the organization and its work. Andre uh, Vessels is a military historian and his latest book is A Century of South African um, Naval History and the South African Navy and its pre- predecessors. F- I mean, from 1922 to, nine, uh, to 2022, uh, the conversation Africa asked him for insights and we thought we could just chat about the importance of our Navy in our country. And just to welcome our guests, good evening and welcome to The Viewpoint. Professor Andre? Thank you very much. Can you, can you hear me? Thank you very much for the kind invitation. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. Let's start with your, you know, how prevalent are such incidences in the Navy? Because, you know, this is something that happened that was unexpected. Yes, no, absolutely. No, it, it was a terrible accident. One, one, one must see it for, for what it was. It was a freak accident, a freak wave. Some people say five to ten meters high struck the submarine while they were busy with a with a, with a training exercise. Luckily for the Navy, um, these incidents are few and far between. The last one that I can recall before this tragic incident of the 20th of, of September was a few years ago when a, man, when a member of the Maritime, uh, Maritime um, Reaction Squadron uh, drowned during Operation Copper, the, anti, the, the counter-piracy operation along the coast of, of, of Mozambique. So there are very few accidents like this, luckily, which says something about the professionalism of our Navy. And once again, the accident of the 20th of September was very, very tragic, but it has to be seen for what it was, a very, very tragic, but also a freak accident that that took place. It was a freak accident. And, you know, sometimes we we do have uh, such departments where we talk about the Navy, but we never really understand the role of the Navy. Maybe just to give a little bit of of, of insight to our listeners, you know, the the role of the Navy and the importance of that role. Well, the Navy, let's not talk, obviously we are talking about the South African Navy. The South African Navy is of utmost importance for South Africa, you know. How many people in South Africa realize that about 90% of our imports and exports go through our ports? And these ports and our coastal waters have to be, have to be defended, have to be, have, to be, have to be guarded. But a Navy is not, it's not only there to, to perform military tasks. The Navy has a large number of, of other tasks. For example, humanitarian relief operations search and rescue operations. If a yacht is in distress along our coast, who's going to assist? In most instances, especially if it's, especially if it's, if it's quite far away from the coast, we need a Navy to do search and rescue. 
But humanitarian work, for example, is not only in not only in South Africa, but obviously also in the African continent. So when you have drought or when you have a disaster in another African country, if we have the ships and the money to support that country in Africa, then the Navy has a very important role to play. But the Navy also has a very important diplomatic function. In other words, flag-showing, flag-showing cruisers. You know, when a ship leaves a South African port and sails to another country, the South African flag literally flags, literally flies on board that, on board that ship. And when that ship enters the, the, the port of another country, it is as if a diplomat from South Africa is visiting that country. So the Navy, when it sends so-called gray diplomats, we all know that most warships are painted gray. So when it sends gray diplomats on flag-showing cruises across the globe, but especially also to African countries, these ships represent South Africa and everything that we as South Africans stand for. When we have ships that obviously have multi multicultural crews, they represent the multicultural South African society that we have. And that diplomatic function is something that the Navy has excelled as far as I'm concerned in the past, well, not only 30 years since 1994, but even before that, but especially since 1994, because with the dawn of a truly democratic Republic of South Africa on the 27th of April 1994, the doors and the ports literally opened for South African warships. Of course, also for South Africans as a whole. But our South African warships could now, for the first time, officially visit many, many countries in Africa and in the rest of the world where we were not welcome previously. And as far as I'm concerned, these warships of the South African Navy played an immense, an immensely important role in showing to the world what South Africa is all about. Um, so that diplomatic function of the Navy cannot be underestimated. Unfortunately, because of the financial restrictions um, that the South African National Defense Force and in particular the Navy has at the moment, our diplomatic role is at the moment not what it should be. Mm. Um, at the moment, we very seldom, if ever, can still send warships overseas on tailor-made flag-showing flag cruisers. Mm. And that, that, to my mind, is a very, very worrying, worrying situation. And in conclusion, in an ideal world, what should a well-capacitated and well-resourced Navy have? I mean, three sub, uh, submarines doesn't sound like half of what we need. What, ex what should we have? Yeah. Well, according to sources that are in the public domain, we know that South Africa at the moment has three submarines, four frigates, one multi-mission inshore patrol vessel with another one nearly, nearly completed and another one also building, one combat support ship and one survey ship. In an ideal world, we should have four submarines, four, but preferably five, five um, frigates. We should also have at least four large offshore patrol vessels, not three, but at least six multi-mission inshore patrol vessels. And then very important to be able to project force over long distances. We should have ideally helicopter carrying dock landing ships, at least one, preferably two. 
then also perhaps one large replenishment ship, and then obviously also a, a survey ship at the moment, the SAS Protea, is 51 years old, and she will hopefully be, within the next two or three years, be replaced by a new survey ship that is being built in, in Durban, and the ship will be named after former President Nelson Mandela. Professor Andre Vessels, thank you so much for joining us on The Viewpoint this evening. You are very welcome. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And good night. Uh, that was Professor Andre Vessels and just getting to understand the role of the Navy. And this was put in the spotlight after we lost um, three uh, patrons uh, from that particular uh, department. Still to come, uh, just to wrap up the show, we still have one more uh, story that we are going to tackle. I mean, these are unsung heroes and sometimes we undermine what they have to go through uh, looking after our children. They are caregivers, they are teachers. Uh, teachers, we need to really applaud people that, you know, decide to become teachers because honestly and truly, uh, they shape who we are and who we become later on in life. That is if we comply. Let's take a small break. We'll be back. Bertha Charuma on SAFM. And um, our last guest for the evening, we are talking to Setlokhane uh, uh, Manchidi, head of corporate social investment uh, CSI at Investec, and talking about World Teachers' Day, which will be commemorated on the 5th of October um, under the theme Teachers We Need uh, for the Education We Want. We look at South Africa's teacher shortage in threatening our quality of education. Good evening and welcome to The Viewpoint. Good evening, Bertha, and uh, good evening to your listeners, and thanks for having us this evening. I know a lot of us do undermine teachers, and yet they are the shapers of who we become as leaders, as, as, as social individuals in the workplace and all that. Now, let's talk about... Um, the celebration of teachers and the reason why they chose this particular theme for this year? Well, I mean, I think we must uh, pay tribute to all teachers who are involved in, the, in, the pro, in, in a noble profession that is uh, developing other professions. Kudos to them and thank you very much for all that which they do. But I think the, the theme really uh, acknowledges the extent to we have a serious teacher shortage in this country. And it, it, it's made severe, uh, Bertha, by the fact that within the next decade or so, more than half of the current workforce is over the age of 55. So they're set to retire by 2030. And that is very problematic for us. Um, and then, of course, we you must also acknowledge that teaching is not considered an attractive career in terms of salary or progression. And as a result, there's simply not enough youngsters choosing to go into teaching. Um, and that, that's, that's a challenge. So if we think we have uh, electricity supply as a challenge at the moment, the next electricity supply after water supply is that of teachers. And we really have to be thinking very creatively around what, what, what it is that we should be doing. Mm. So, you know, according to, to data, sub-Saharan Africa needs an additional, what, 6.3 million teachers um, if it is to attain universal primary education by 2030. That's a lot. Now, South Africa That's will need to have 456,000 teachers by 2030. 20- 
2025 to offer quality education given that South Africa's public education system currently employs 410,000 teachers who work in approximately 25,000 schools across the country responsible for teaching 12.9 million pupils. How do we close this gap? Well, we've got to look at a very innovative ways of doing it. One, it I mean, it takes way too long. Um, I mean, a BA, a BA degree on average, it takes about four years for one to complete. So we haven't got that much time. But equally, there is, for example, a possible qualification such as a postgraduate uh, certificate in education which is a PGCE, which appeals to individuals who may have gone and studied commerce, may have gone and studied engineering, and even perhaps even practiced in those fields, and realize um, that actually their true passion is in teaching and developing other professions, and, and therefore afforded an, uh, another year at doing this PGCE. I think that if we get that right, uh, that might be one of the quickest ways of really trying to repurpose and get other people into. Of course, I do worry about the extent to which we use it only just to address unemployment. You know, teaching is is something that you must be very passionate about. It, it is something that you must want to do. So for those who are already practicing as accountants, as engineers, as something else, and then really honestly, because there are many of those individuals who at times, you know, go down a path only to realize that I'm actually not where I want to be, then I would, I really would want to encourage that. Of course, others want to advocate for the fact that we have a high unemployed, youth unemployment rate, and uh, particularly of graduates. Uh, we should get as many of them as possible to go into teaching. Of course, that is a route, but it must still be to the extent to which they are very passionate about teaching and it is something they want to do, not because they have found themselves unemployed for a good number of years, and now this is the only thing that they possibly could do to get out of unemployment. I think that has any other unintended consequences. But honestly, truly, we ought to be looking at innovative ways. I mean, we, you, the, teacher, the closure of teacher training colleges will remain an indictment um, on all of us in this country for many years to come. And this is why we at Investec, for example, have been running a teacher internship program, which is go and register for a BA degree with UNISA or Northwest University, um, and go and be placed at one of the these private schools as an intern, immerse yourself in the culture, immerse yourself and be mentored by some of the best teachers, particularly in maths and science, so that we can fast track. But again, um, in 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 the sh- short space of time that we've got here, we, ha- we in many instances, four years is even way too long. So we've got to find other ways. And that's why I'm very excited about the prospect of perhaps we need to finesse our PGCE and our ability try and get other people moving into teaching that we wouldn't otherwise have been into teaching. Mm. And how do we mitigate this issue, this problem that we have, where qualified teachers are leaving their jobs for greener pastures? And most of them are actually leaving the country. So you train them, they become well-equipped, and they take their skills, cross the border, gone. Resources, gone down the drain. Bertha, I mean, there, there are too many factors informing teachers' decision to leave the profession for possible greener pastures. And in my view, many of these factors are more systemic and therefore require a systemic approach and in fact require policy change, require much more government intervention, require even us, corporate citizens and individuals to really come together to say, 
How is it that we change the factors, such as, for example, the better working conditions and perceived better financial rewards of possibly working in a private as opposed to a public school, for example. You know, in, in SA, for example, we still have classes with more than 40 learners and studies show that this is undesirable and this is this is something that not many teachers can cope with and not many teachers would want to uh, be faced with and and again the attractiveness of an international teaching opportunity especially at a time when south africa is beset with such real day-to-day challenges such as load shedding now water and the fact that the overall performance of our education system, uh, I have no doubt at times negatively impacts on the job satisfaction levels of current teachers. Imagine if you're a teacher and all you're hearing left, right, and center is that of the 750,000 um, uh, people on average it's set uh, for metric exams last year, only 250,000 wrote metric maths, and only a small number of those, around about six, 7,000 produced distinctions in maths and science. Surely that starts eating away at your uh, satisfaction levels in your job. So we, we've really got to start quizzing and addressing the systemic issues that beset not only the education, sector but us as a country because i can tell you now i'm sure as difficult as it may be for some people uh, given what current challenges we're facing it's a much more easier decision to make to to uproot and go elsewhere and 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 and, and, and over the next couple of years we've really got to address. and it's not just only for teachers it's, it's it is across profession as we know and I have to admit that I do appreciate, you know, where you are coming from as, um, you know, as Investec and the work that you're doing. Um, in closing, so we find ourselves in a situation where remuneration for teachers, I, I'm going to say it for what it is. I find it pathetic, number one. And number two, our constitution does not protect a teacher. We have these rules that literally allow our children to some degree um have a leeway where they can do whatever they please in a classroom and the teacher has very very little um you know hand in 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 disciplining the children how can this be mitigated but bertha you're coming exactly to the point of saying is that these are systemic issues and if we really want to change we've got to deal i mean violent schools who wants to work in a school where uh, it's become a gangster's paradise? We've got to address these issues. Um, who wants to work in schools, to the, exactly your words, where um, a, a, a learner can really be involved in a fist fight with a teacher and a teacher who's having had their hands in the air? These are systemic issues, and, and part of it, systemic issues is also the role of parents, the role of broader society society in all this because what we do very often is we pass our societal problems to schools and then we expect that the teachers will wave some magic wand it takes a village to raise a child and we've really got to look at all these various aspects we as corporates have to do the same uh, parents have to do the same communities have to do the same government most importantly has to do the same or else we will not have an education sector to talk to mm. at particularly the basic education level that is so true. I think we'll have to leave it at this point. Um, it's now, you know, we need to cross over to the news and the show is, uh, has come to an end. That's uh, uh, Manchidi, uh, head of corporate 
and a social investment CSI at Investec. And of course, uh, they are doing their bit and creating the platform where uh, you know, if you would like to be a teacher, there is a door or should I say a window where you can, uh, you know, advance yourself and, and, and take teaching as a career. Considering uh, we are lacking qualified, good teachers. And if we get a batch that's qualified and good, they are jumping borders and going elsewhere for greener pastures. And that is just becoming a real problem for the country. But to our guests, thank you so much for joining us right here on The Viewpoint. Thank you, Mama. Thanks for having us.